Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, we're in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If this is your first Sunday service, as we get into this, you're going to be going, oh, great, oh, great. I got into a topical series on giving, tithing, money. I knew the church was nothing but about money. No, we're going through 2 Corinthians, and we've hit some very uncomfortable verses over the years, and unfortunately, it shouldn't be this way, but unfortunately, it is this way. Talking about finances in church is an uncomfortable topic because of a few uh, pastors that have abused the ministry and have abused finances taints it uh, for the rest. And so you might have to do some debugging the program because as we go through scriptures verse by verse, we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're not going to skip over verses. We're not going to do that. We study from Genesis to Revelation. And if someone has abused that, let it go. Let it go. Learn a principle, implement the principle, and be blessed. We all have to do this, not just with finances, with other things in our lives. We have to debug the program as we've seen the last 10, 20, 30 years. We live in a, it's somebody else's fault society. It's always somebody else's fault. No matter what happens, it's somebody else's fault. And that's very sad. I was raised, I'm 62, and I was raised, you know, if you did something wrong, you did it wrong. Stop blaming somebody. Stop pointing at somebody. Just admit it. Just admit it and learn from it. And you know, it makes life a whole lot easier when we do that. We just admit it and move on, learn from it, try to change it, allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, our souls. And so even this morning as we study this, I'm not going to apologize for the word, I'm just letting you know up front, if you're the first time visitor here, this is part of the word of God. And so we're going to go through it. Hopefully the whole chapter, we'll see what happens. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for a faithful flock who continues to give of their funds that we might do the work of the ministry, we, the church, as a whole. And Father, we thank you for allowing us the privilege to serve you in that capacity. So Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching as we go over chapter 9 here. I ask for your Holy Spirit to comfort us, strengthen us, convict us, rebuke us if necessary, individually, corporately, whatever the case may be. We want to be in your perfect will. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. And again, I pray for the gift of teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Paul is writing this letter, we find that he is on his third missionary journey. And he has felt led to take up a collection to, the, to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. You can get the CDs from the last few weeks to better explain that. You see, the scriptures show us that Paul had been accused of being anti-Semitic. And that word is being thrown around a lot today. Well, he was not, but he became a Christian. And due to his conversion to Christianity... He was accused of being anti-Semitic. You can see this more clearly in Acts chapter 21, if you want to study Acts chapter 21. But Paul was not anti-Semitic. He was pro-Messiah. You see, the Jews in that day and age were looking for the Messiah, but they were looking for a conquering Christ, not a suffering servant. 
And Jesus did not meet the criteria of a conquering Christ, overthrowing Rome and ruling and reigning on this earth with the disciples ruling and reigning with him. No, he went to the cross for all of humanity. And they didn't get that, and I don't blame them. I wouldn't have either, until they received the Holy Spirit. And then they came to understand Jesus was the Messiah, literally the Messiah. And if you go on with a visit to Israel, you will see our very first visit in Israel was 1993. And there were banners on condominiums. There were banners on houses. And I don't know Hebrew, still don't know Hebrew. It's all Greek to me. But I, we asked a guide, what are those banners? And it, they were saying, the Messiah is coming. That they're looking for the Messiah? Today, they are still a few. A majority of people in Israel don't even believe there's God. It's very sad. They don't believe there's a God. If, you're, if your relatives went through a Holocaust, you might have the same opinion. So we've got to pray for their souls. But there are some who are still looking for the Messiah, and they are going to receive the Antichrist, the false Messiah. You see, Paul, he knew Jesus was the Messiah, and he was going to show his love for his fellow Christian Jews by bringing them this offering. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the ministering to the saints... It is superfluous for me, superfluous, superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Notice that last, at the end of that verse there. You see, our actions can affect others for the gospel. And here we see that the commitment of the Corinthians that they had a year earlier to take up a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem, that had traveled hundreds of miles. They obviously didn't have any of our modern communication technology, which unfortunately today is not helping us, even though we have so much modern communication technology. Communication has actually gotten worse. I've noticed that people won't answer emails, but if I text them, Boom, they're on it. Other people, they won't answer texts or they won't answer their phone. But if I text them, boom, they're on it. I'm like, okay, are you that important? Are you that busy? What happened to the news? Well, their faithfulness spread and other churches wanted to get involved and they had a desire to help the poor saints in Jerusalem as well. So what does Paul do? Superfluous means in the sense of beyond, in the sense of beyond. Superabundant in quantity or superior in quality. You see, the churches went beyond their means. Again, you need to get the last couple CDs. They were in poverty. They were poor. Paul was not going around knocking on all the rich doors of the rich churches. He was just going to the churches. They're being persecuted. They were being martyred. They were in poverty. Yet, they went beyond to bless the fellow believers. And why did Paul see it this way? You see, the churches that were taking up this offering, as I've already mentioned, were poor. Yet what? Yet they were rich in love. And you're probably going to want to get the CD from like four weeks ago with the woman in the treasury with the two mites. You see, that's what Paul is driving home about finances in these two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9. 
if giving of our lives in so many areas is seen as an expression of love, then why isn't the giving of our finances done with the the same motivation? Verses 3 through 5. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain or empty in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity. And I actually have this highlighted. I encourage you to highlight your Bible. I encourage you to have a paper Bible. If you don't, feel free to grab one. They're free. If you're going to sell it, leave it. But if you need one, take it. If you need a nice one, go in the lost and found. There's some really nice leather-bound Bibles back there. I don't know how somebody just leaves their best friend behind, but it happens. So That it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Very important. Not as a grudging obligation. You see, Paul reminds them of their commitment to give to the saints, but not out of his own covetousness. Again, the example for church leaders is not set their own desires on the finances of the church, but to look for ways in which to bless others in the name of the Lord. And if you're new or visiting or you're new to this fellowship, you're quickly coming to understand that we take care of finances around here very, very meticulously. When 30% of our budget, your budget, our budget, is going to missions, we must be running a tight ship. And we're praying about going to 35. And in March of next year, we're going to be able to pay off the mortgage. And we, amen. And we have, we have money in savings, money in mission fund, um, I think we gave, we gave $24,000 away this past month in missions funds. So guys, debug the program. I understand there's churches out there that have abused it and they might be abusing it now. But the pastor's role is not to set their desires on the finances, but to set their desire on God, what do you want to do with these finances? How can we make the most out of every dollar? How can we use it for your glory? And the staff, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Very, very important. I believe the last verse of part of five there. Look at the last part of verse five. That it may be ready as a matter of generosity. Again, Paul's already confirmed in in chapter eight and he's confirming again in nine. You're the ones that said you wanted to give. I just asked. You were the ones that said you wanted to give. So you wanted to give generously? Then give generously and not not as a grudging obligation. I think this is where most religious people end up with giving of their finances to the church. So I might have to give but I'm going to give as little as possible. And they give it with grudgingly. You see, unfortunately, the church has made finances a way bigger issue than it needs to be, which causes our spiritual enemy to make it a way bigger issue than it needs to be. So what is the answer? Well, our next verses tell us in verses six and seven. But this I say, 
He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So each one give as he purposes in his heart. I have these verses highlighted, 6, 7, and 8. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. We see the bottom line here for New Testament giving. Whether it's giving of your time, as we've talked about, and again, seven and eight are dealing with finances, so we're zeroing in on finances, but even within seven, you see it's whatever you give, your time, your energy, whatever resources you give, give it heartily to the Lord for the work of the ministry. You see, it's all about where and what the heart And for you new believers, when you hear the word heart in your Bible, it's talking about your soul, your soul, your being, your personality, your coding. Scientifically, by the time you're 11 years old, you have 87% of your adult personality. By the time you're 11 years old, these little ones, now get that mental picture, guys. And you look back to your life, the way you behaved as a teenager, you were coded a certain way. You are coded by your parents, by your siblings, by your teachers, by society, by today. I would greatly encourage you not to give your little one a phone. If you think it's for security purposes, give them a flip phone with no access to the internet. They'll get over it. Right now, the average age is eight years old viewing pornography. Eight years old. It's not a game. This is reality. The enemy wants to destroy the family. He wants to destroy husbands and wives. Why? Ephesians 5.25. So we have to be aware of what's going on so that we could take a stand against the enemy and his tactics. What is our heart and soul focused on? What is it focused on? And please remember that Jesus and the New Testament writers through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit were all eternally minded. You'll read it over and over and over again. Eternity, eternity, eternity. They emphasized, all emphasized in various aspects what Job expressed. Naked I came into this world and naked I am leaving. But they also emphasized an account in heaven where God is placing those things done in the name of his son. They are placed there for future rewards and these rewards will reap eternal dividends. If Philippians 4.17 says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You, as If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you have an account in heaven, and what you put into that account will never be taken out. Can never, the rewards can never be taken out. So here we see a principle of giving of our finances. I am to give because I've spent time in prayer. Notice in verse uh, eight, 7 there. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Well, how do I purpose in my heart? By reading the word of God and by prayer. As I read the word of God, the Holy Spirit is going to change my heart, my soul, so that when I pray about whatever it might be, I'm going to have a different intent than I used to have before I knew Christ. I'm going to have a different intent. We applied this principle... When we first got married, my wife was going to ASU. Um, We got pregnant. 
two months into our marriage. And until the baby was born, her mother kept counting the months. And we go, it's, it's, she didn't get pregnant before marriage, okay? But two weeks before our first anniversary. That's 12 months. Here, you got it? Okay, here we go. Um, I was making $5.50 an hour, renting an apartment, $300 a month. So if you do the math, you're going to find out real quick that almost my, my paychecks, 50% of my paychecks went just to rent. But we prayed because we were believers three and a half years before we got married. We prayed and we started to give a percentage to the Lord every single week off the top. Just automatically off the top. Didn't even think about it. It was not even a, a discussion. It was prayer and prayer confirmed it. But this is an area that very few people pray about individually or even in marriage. Why is that? It shouldn't be that way. But again, it's just that uncomfortable topic. And because of a past abuses, no, 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 no. My money is my money. I'm going to do with it what I want to do with it. It is your money. You do with it what you want to do with it. But I encourage you to spend time in prayer and I know God will change your heart. You see, when I pray to the Heavenly Father about what I should give financially, He will show me personally and give me the peace that surpasses all understanding. If it's a certain percentage, then fine, give that percentage. But don't limit God to a certain percentage. You see, in, in the New Testament, you will not find tithing in the New Testament taught. It's between God and you. What do you want to give? Notice what it says, not grudgingly, out of a cheerful heart, a joyful heart. You don't want to give, don't give. God doesn't need it. God doesn't need it. It's for you. It's a biblical principle. If God, if you, if God desires you to give more, then give more. You see, it's between God and you because at the end of our lives, guys, this is what it's all about. This is what I have to share as a pastor to you, as Ephesians tells me to do, to disciple you, to point you towards eternity. At the end of the day, we're going to give an account to, we're not going to give an account to anyone on this side of heaven, but to God alone. And for conversation purposes, because we know God knows, but for conversation purposes, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with your time? What did you do with your finances? What did you do with your spiritual gifts? What did you do with your talents? What did you do? So guys, my encouragement to you, I know I'm not showing up bankrupt. My encouragement to you is don't show up bankrupt. Don't show up just, oh, at least I made it. Don't do that. You see, someday you and I will stand before God to give an account of what we did with our resources, our time, our energy, our giftings, as I just mentioned. And so Claudia and I are putting it into our own separate accounts. See, Claudia has her own separate account. Even though we pray and give financially together. We both get credit for it. And as a church, we do not need to have begathons. God is not broke, nor is he limited by our lack of giving. Where God guides, he will provide. Our senior pastor, Chuck, who's with the Lord, taught us decades ago. Where God guides, God provides. But for us today, using these portions of scriptures, the question needs to be answered. Have I taken time to pray? That's my exhortation to you. Have I taken time to pray? so that I might know the purpose and the amount that I should give for the work of the ministry. I encourage you to visit our missions lobby. Um, I'm going to mention one, Far Reaching Ministries. 
that I read their pamphlet this past month. And um, the, ba- the botched Afghan exit has caused heartache for many, many, many people. And so their ministry started getting calls immediately about extracting people out of Afghanistan, believers as well as non-believers that wanted to get out of Afghanistan. So they have ex-military people, elite people that are in Afghanistan right now, getting people to safety and pulling them out of the country. I know Wes Bentley personally. He's come to this church several times, very accountable for their finances, doing a tremendous work with their finances. And as I read the article, I just said, wow, Lord, what, what I have, what we have. And I went home to Claudia and I said, Claudia, we need, can we just pray about this really quick? Let's just pray about this. Because sometimes, you know, even as you pray, you're just kind of like, this is a no-brainer, we're going to do it, but we still need to pray. And so we prayed about it, and to extract a human life out of Afghanistan, because you have to bribe people, extract a life out of Afghanistan is costing $4,500 right now. You can get them out of Afghanistan for $4,500. So we prayed, and we said... Is that a sure thing? It's a sure thing. It's a sure thing. $4,500. $4,500. And so we're, don't, we're cutting a check. Claude and I are cutting a check. And I don't do this to brag. I just do it to give you an example of it's not just about here. Think outside the box. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe you see your neighbor struggling. Maybe she's a single mom or a single dad. And the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart to do. Do it. Now, I had to caution you as far as what you're going to do. Maybe you should pay the electric bill or, or buy food or just be careful because, you know, we don't want to cause someone to stumble by just giving them cash. But, but obey what the Holy Spirit asks you to do. What might the Holy Spirit be asking you to do? He purposes. Verse 7 there. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. He purposes means to choose for oneself before another thing. To choose for oneself before another thing. So we purpose, you know, do we need anything? You know, it's, it's great. I didn't realize getting old was going to have benefits. Not many, but a few. And the kids will ask us the last six, eight, ten years, what do you need? What do you need? And, and we're just like, we don't need anything. But if you really want to get us something, you know, how about this? Because we know their heart. Just like. And so it's no big deal. But you have to purpose it in your heart. God, is this what you want us to do? Once you do that, you're going to have peace that surpasses understanding. Not grudgingly. Notice in verse 7. Not grudgingly. Sadness. Sadness. Oh. I'm so bummed out, I got to give this money to the church. If I just didn't have to give this money to the church, I could buy myself. Keep it. Keep it. You don't have to give any money to the church. If you have sadness over giving, keep your money. It's not blessing anybody. Necessity. Necessity. Or of necessity. Necessity means constraint. Constraint. I have to give. No, you do not. No, you do not. No. You don't have to serve God at all. Don't. You're going to be stifled in your Christian walk, though. I guarantee you that. For God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful there means hilarious. Hilarious. 
Verse 8, for God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Ministry involves giving of our finances. Now that's what's interesting. Now what's interesting about finances or giving in another area of our lives is that there are various reasons why we give. And so I just want to go over a few reasons why we give. You know, we might feel obligated or that it's our duty. We might have been raised with an attitude of obligation. I know I was raised where uh, every year my family got envelopes with our names on the outside of the envelopes. Not my name, but my parents' names on the outside of the envelope. Obligation. Every week, 52 envelopes. I think they have an expectation when they give you 52 envelopes. (laughs) It's a duty. So it's easy to bring that type of thinking into Christianity and to think that it's an obligation or duty rather than learning that I have the privilege to give of my finances or anything else for that matter out of devotion. Are you giving your time out of devotion? I don't, I don't serve anywhere. Okay. Just have to ask yourself, am I devoted to Christ or not? I'm not serving anywhere? You're not doing anything for Christ? And this is not guilt. I'm not, there's no guilt here. I'm just trying to be real. You're not doing anything for Christ? Is that devotion? Is it, think of it in your marriage. If you didn't do anything for your mate, how many of you would look at your mate and go, man, you're really devoted to me. Is your mate going to say that? No. So it's kind of interesting how we can apply certain things to certain things and feel uncomfortable with it. But when something else comes up in church, all of a sudden, hey, pastor, you're trying to guilt me because it makes you feel uncomfortable. No, we have to get real. If you haven't figured it out yet, America's going down and the enemy is coming for our children to destroy the family unit. Wake up. Wake up. There's a Christian author who wanted to read his books in public libraries, the public library said, no, you cannot come in. We are not of the same mindset. We'll let drag queens come in, but you cannot bring your Christian books and read them during public reading time. Guys, that's in America. Please wake up. It's not in Cuba. It's not in Russia. This is in America. Drag queens are allowed to come into public libraries, paid for by taxes as well as donations from people. But no, not Christian book reading. No, sorry, can't do, it. can't do that. Another reason why we find ourselves giving is out of self-satisfaction, possibly. A person might feel good about a cause, so they give to that cause, and that makes them feel good inside or good about themselves. You can see this happening through major corporations of very wealthy individuals where they will give a certain amount of money towards a cause. But it can happen with anyone. They give because it makes them feel good about themselves. And they think it'll cover all of the other nonsense that is going on in their lives. Another reason that people give is out of prestige or power. They want to be known by others so they might give a certain cause because of the publicity that that cause brings. You can see this bringing in the church. Plaques are engraved with your name, hung in a prominent place for others to see what it was that you donated to. Typically, this type of giving is for public show and approval of man. You see, as Jesus said in Matthew, using the religious elite as an example, since they gave for the praise and approval of man, 
They have received the reward on this side of heaven and there will be no reward in heaven itself. You've already received your praise. But the ultimate reason that people should give is the reason that Paul has been sharing with the Corinthians. People will give because of the agape love of God. That love is flowing through their lives. We've read this about Corinthians here in 2 Corinthians. Giving as an opportunity to be used of God is not the focus upon our desires, but the focus upon others. And this is the purest, obviously the purest form of giving. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 11 real quick. Proverbs chapter 11. So Paul says to sow bountifully in our text, and yes, it is a reference to finances. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24, and 25. We're going to see a problem develop out of this issue. Proverbs 11.24, there is one who scatters yet increases more and there is one who withholds more than is right and it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. You see, a farmer understands this principle because he knows that if he plants just a few seeds, he will reap a small harvest. But if he plants many seeds, he could potentially, and I have to emphasize potentially, reap a harvest. You see, at the end of the day, it's all up to God. Because here's the problem that's happened in the last 10, 20, 30 years. I've mentioned this in previous studies. Some pastors have taught that if you sow a dollar, a $10 bill is going to replace that dollar. If you sow $10, $100 will come back. If you sow $100, then $1,000 will come back. Like this is God's slot machine. It doesn't matter what the believer's motivation is. They're just told to give, which is wrong. I hope that I'm helping you learn and understand what this principle is because the Lord takes care of our needs not just finances, our needs. And looking back over the years, we personally know that to be true. But the fact is, most of us are not millionaires of this side of heaven. I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 29 years old. I wanted to be a millionaire. I was a believer, but I wanted to be a millionaire. I thought I could do so much more for the Lord if I just had a million dollars. I was playing the lottery as a Christian. Holy Spirit was convicting me like crazy. But I wanted to be a millionaire because I could really serve God if I was a millionaire. He corrected me. He got a hold of me. He straightened me out. See, we're going to be rich in our account in heaven. And on that day, that is where it's really going to matter. It's a spiritual aspect of when you give of your finances, the Lord takes care of your needs. He blesses you above and beyond what you could ever think. You see, over our lives... The Lord has blessed us with an abundance of finances. I shared with you a couple weeks ago when I took, went into full-time ministry, I took a half a cut in pay and no benefits for 10 years. We were below the poverty line in Arizona to get into full-time ministry. Never missed a mortgage. God took care of us. Never missed a meal. When we came to start the church out here, took a half a cut in pay. It doesn't matter. 
You see, when you pray and God purposes something in your heart, the Holy Spirit confirms it and the Holy Spirit takes care of you. It's none of this health and wealth nonsense. Blab it, grab it, confess it, possess it. It's all about money, 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 money. That's nothing. Nothing. God don't need money. He didn't feed the Israelites for 40 years with money in the wilderness. He fed them with manna. Their soles or their shoes did not wear out. Their clothes did not wear out. God provided. Oh, yeah, but that was, oh, there's the but. God's not God anymore, huh? No, God is still God. God is still God. You see, no amount of money can buy true friends, friends that will stick by you through everything. No amount of money can buy the peace of God. No amount of money can buy agape love. You see, money cannot buy the most important things in this life. So why does the Holy Spirit share with us this principle? Because the Holy Spirit is concerned about our eternal benefits. And this is just another spiritual principle, guys. This is a spiritual principle. If you want to neglect it, that's between you and God. I'm going to teach you spiritual principles. What you do with it is between you and God. But this is a spiritual principle. Don't try to shine it off like it's not. And as far as our relationship with the Lord goes, this principle applies to our whole as of our Christian lives. You see, when I give myself to the work of the Lord, I'm storing up treasure in heaven where I will reap what I have sowed. The work of the Lord, not just finances. As you read your Bible, it's not finances. It's your time. It's your energy. It's your talent. It's your spiritual gift. Are you sowing? Are you sowing? Matthew 10, 42 says, And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. I don't see anything about finances in there. So why do I give financially to the Lord? Is it out of duty or obligation? Is it because it makes me feel good about myself? Is it because others are watching and I like the praise of man? Or is out of agape love giving to the Lord for the advancement of the kingdom? You see, it's important to evaluate why we're giving so we don't end up with a little on the other side. And again, not just finances, big picture Christianity. Thinking that we've got a lot on this side. Eight and nine. All right, we already read eight, nine and ten. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your finances. So, is that what your Bible says? Are you sure? Are you awake? I mean, chapter 8 and 9 is all about finances. Isn't that what your Bible says? What does it say? Oh, being right with God. Just being right with God. Because you know what, guys? It's 100% God's. Everything God gives me, it's all his. I'm just supposed to take care of it to the best of my ability. So as I pray and he says, do this, am I going to be sad about it? God, yes, I'd love to do that. Absolutely. But that's between you and the Lord. I'm not saying it's easy. You have to pray. You have to seek the word. You have to grow and mature, knowing that God's going to take care of you. So important. Luke 6. Let's look at Luke 6, 37 and 38 real quick. Luke 6, 37 and 38. 
Now I'm going to read verse 10 as you're turning there. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Luke 6, 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, again, this is where teachers take something totally out of context about finances, and you might have to debug the program. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And I've heard more than one sermon using that verse about the whole... Yeah, God's just a heavenly slot machine. Just give it. Press it down. Give it. You're going to get it back, and more so. Taking totally out of context. What does it say? Judge not. And you shall not judge. Condemn not. You shall not be condemned. Forgiven. You will be forgiven. What's that talking about? Being right with God and being right with others. What are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you don't have love, giving money means absolutely nothing at all. While you are enriched in everything, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but it also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Do you guys see that? The poor saints in the churches are sending a gift to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And what are the poor saints in Jerusalem going to do? Thank God for meeting our provision. Thank you, God, for meeting our provision. So when we do something, it's in the, in the Sunday school, in junior high, and high school, whatever it might be, that can have that effect. Thank God that you use so-and-so. Thank you, God. Now, they might thank you, and, and you heard me say this last week, nothing wrong with doing that. We should do that. It doesn't take away your reward in, in, at all. But it could also give them, thank God for you. Unbelievers as well as believers. Thank God. Because when they ask you, why did you do that? Well, you know, I'm a believer and God just really put it on my heart to do that for you. And maybe you have the time to explain that, maybe not. But you've now planted that seed in their mind. While, verse 13, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And I have that last verse highlighted again. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What would that gift be? The gift of the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus say? Ask, seek, knock. Anytime, any day, Anywhere, if we ask, seek, or knock, will my Heavenly Father not give you more of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, yes. But it comes down to, am I going to ask, am I going to seek, or am I going to knock? It comes down to me. God's responsibility, he's got it all down. He's not the problem. 
Most of the time it comes down to, I'm the problem, not God. We like blaming God, but it's not God. I'm the problem. We like, bl- we like blaming other people. I'm the problem. If I'm right with God and I'm right with man, the Holy Spirit's gonna show me what to do without a doubt. We'll wrap it up with this. If you go with us or you can go online and see this, but the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea, the Salt Sea is 300 feet below sea level. The Sea of Galilee is beautiful. We'll spend our first, for those who are going in March, we'll spend our first four days and three nights there. We'll see it. We're gonna take a boat ride on it. It's full of life. It's full of life. The Dead Sea, no life. No life. Matter of fact, we'll go to the Dead Sea. We're gonna float in the Dead Sea. But you're instructed very carefully when you get in the Dead Sea, don't splash. Just sit down very slowly. Don't worry about floating. You will float. Nobody sinks in the Dead Sea. Nobody. But you don't want to splash. And they have showers on the beaches because when you get that stuff in your eyeballs or it touches your lips, it burns, extremely burns. You cannot drink a cup of it. If you drank a cup of it, you would die. But you couldn't drink it. It's so minerally minerally enriched, it would kill you. What's the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea? You see, the Sea of Galilee has an outlet, so it receives sources, mostly from Mount Hermon, and as it travels through the eastern border of Israel, it stops at the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea does not have an outlet. Do you see the analogy Not just about finances, debug the program, but about your Christian faith. Are you using your Christian faith? Not just here, 24-7 in your workplace, in your neighborhood. Are you using it? Are you making yourself available? Are you allowing God to interrupt your time schedule? That's hard for me to do. I'm very time-orientated. It it takes asking the Holy Spirit at certain times, God, give me strength right now because I don't want to stop. Holy Spirit, give me strength right now. And he does. But are we available? Are we just the Dead Sea? I'm doing good. Bitter to be around. Nobody really wants to hang around me or taste what I have to say. I wonder why. Think about ministry. Father, we thank you and praise you for these chapters. They're uncomfortable chapters for some, for I think mature Christians are great chapters. Just reconfirms what we're supposed to be doing in all aspects of our life, in all areas of our life. Trusting you, putting our lives in your care wholeheartedly. And so, Lord, I pray as we've gone over these verses, chapter 8 and chapter 9, I'm, I'm sure I could have done a better job can't always say everything just right. But I trust your Holy Spirit as people take what I've shared and study themselves and ask your Holy Spirit how to apply these things into their lives personally, that you'll refine it. You'll make it right. You'll show them. You'll hone it. That's your responsibility, not mine. So Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the opportunities, freedoms we still have in this country. Things are changing so rapidly, Father. So rapidly. Within months, Teaching certain verses of the Bible can become hate speech here in America. That's just a reality. So what is our focus on, Lord? The temporal or the eternal? Are we going to save America? 
Or are we going to water, plant, fertilize those people in our lives that we have an influence upon? Coworkers, neighbors, family members. We're not going to save America. You have a plan for America. Your will be done to America because your will is best. And Lord, we just pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Pray especially in, in Russia and, oh, it's so sad what's happening over there, Lord. We just pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that you would bless them, use them, give them wisdom and discernment in these desperately wicked days. That you would be glorified, Lord, through your church. I know in Iran, supposedly, I, I'm not there, I can't verify this, but I, I understand that the church is growing exponentially in Iran. Underground church. I don't doubt your Holy Spirit doing that, Father. So I thank you. And I pray for more souls. And Lord, use us this week as we chew on this study. How am I investing? How am I using my resources? How am I using my time? How am I using my talents? How am I using my spiritual gift? Convict, rebuke, exhort, discipline, whatever the case might be, because it's all for your glory, Father. We just thank you and praise you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.